Can anybody relate to that with life? That, that you're going through life and there's this sense of there's something better later, this delayed gratification, but I can get certain satisfaction now if I do this and we have to be patient. I, I think that's a really good example of, oh, thank you, Paul, of, of life, you know, whether it's sin that can kind of appetize now, you know, it'll feel good now, or if we wait something better down the road, but we have to be patient. That's what we're looking at today in James. Turn to James, if you would. This is our very last week in the book. So we're going to be in James chapter 5. And really, he's wrapping up the book. He's wrapping up what he started with. In the very beginning, he said this. At the very beginning of the book of James, he says in James 1, 2, and this is on the screen, so you can turn to James 5 while this is up here. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Are any of you in that situation where you're suffering, you're struggling, you need patience, you're trying to count it all joy, but you're struggling counting it all joy? Maybe it's relational. Marriage can be hard. Maybe it's in your marriage and you're like, I just want this to be better now. Uh, maybe it's a job situation. Uh, your boss, things aren't going so well there. Your employees, a coworker, whatever it is, you're like, I want this to be done. I want it to be better now. Or as we've been going through the book of James, James has been writing to Christians that aren't living it very well. Christians living like the world and he's saying, hey, your mouth, the way you speak, it's not lining up with God. Hey, the way you're using your money, it's not lining up. And so one after another, it's like a punch in the face, a punch in the face. And you get to this point in the book and a lot of these people are just like, oh, <laughs> I want to walk right with God and I try and I fail. And I try again and I fail. You know, I have this sin that keeps popping up and I just want to, I want to be perfect now. I want to be sinless now. I mean, I sure relate to that. As I read through and you, you, know, you hear the phrase, life is a journey, not a destination. Well, in certain aspects of becoming like Jesus, I want to be there now. I don't want to go through this process where trials make me like him. I want to just be there. And so here, we may be tempted to give up. Have you ever been there? Maybe tempted to give up with church. You've been in church enough. You've been hurt too many times. You've been slandered. You've been, I, I want to give up. Maybe as you've tried to follow Jesus and you've tripped and fallen in sin so many times, you're like, I'm just going to give up. It's not worth it. Maybe in your marriage, struggling along, and you read the Bible on how to be a good husband or how to be a good wife, you're like, I just can't, I just can't do it. I want to give up. This last part of James is going to tell us how do we live between Jesus' first, second coming and next during trials and suffering, because guess what? There's no way to escape it. We might want to live perfect lives. You know, just we want to walk in, in, perfect, in perfect holiness. We want to walk in, in perfect, you know, wealth and health and all that. But that's not life. And so here he's going to get very practical. Jesus is coming back. How do we live until then? And he's going to give us two instructions as we go through this. So if you're suffering, and by the way, if you're not, you have before, or you will in the future, this is for us. How do we make it? How do we make it? And he gives us two instructions. Let's begin in James 5, verse 7. It says this. Be patient, 
Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, thank you for having James write this book to us. Thank you that we're at the end of it. Um, I'm a little bit too bruised to keep going. God, I pray that, uh, that today you would speak to our hearts. God, as, as Paul already asked, if there's something you want to do in us, uh, I pray that we'd be ready to say yes to you, whatever that would be. In Jesus' name, amen. So what do we see here? As you, as you look at these verses so far, and he says, between now and when Jesus comes back, life is going to be hard. How do you do it? There's a word that's repeated several times here. It's the word patience. Bah. <laughs> patience. It says, be patient. Wait till the end and you get two marshmallows. Be patient. I mean, that's his first instruction, be patient. And that doesn't feel so good a lot of times when you're in the midst of trials and suffering in this life. Be patient. But that's his first one. The faithful Christian is to be patient. But look through. There's something else he repeats. It's not patient forever. It's patient until something. Look at verse 7. Until the coming of the Lord. Look at verse 8. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9. The judge is standing at the door. James' message is very, very clear. Jesus is coming back, and it's very, very soon. So be ready and be patient until he does. You ever had that, uh, we all have, those experiences in life where you have to be patient and endure, but you know something great is coming, like Christmas. You know, it's, it's November. You're like, man, school's busy. Things are boring, but Christmas is coming. We're going to get presents. We're going to, you know, get a week off. You're looking forward to that. Um, for Callie and I, when we were engaged, we were only engaged for three months, right? Yeah, we were engaged for three months. The entire three months, I lived in Russia. She lived in California. I had to be patient, but not forever. I was looking forward to the end of May when we can be back together, when we could really be together forever. But, you know, life, I'm bored, I'm lonely, whatever it is. Six more weeks, six more weeks, and we're getting married. Now, here's the thing, kind of like with the marshmallow test. Did you notice that when she, she gave him the marshmallow, she said, wait till I come back? She didn't say how long. She didn't say, I'll be back in five minutes. Otherwise, they would have just sat and looked at the clock. She's like, wait for me to come back. In a similar way, that's what Jesus did. He said, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. The angel said, in the same way that you saw him go as he floated up into heaven, he said, he's going to come back the same way. And so we're patient until then, not forever, until he comes back. And he gives us an example of patience. It says in verse 7, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. How does a farmer farm? 
You know, maybe some of us have done gardens. Do you, do you plant the seed and water it and then just sit down and watch? You know, and an hour later, you're like, ah, it's not growing, I give up. No, farming, you plow the field, you know, you, you, you fertilize it, you get it ready, you put the seeds in. And for them, they didn't have the irrigation that we have now. They then waited for the early rain. That's the rain where it first comes, you put the seed in and it gets it to start growing. And then the late rain is right before harvest where it finishes it off and they can go bring in the fruit. And they have to be patient. The farmer is patient. They do the work and they wait. They wait. You know, how long does it take for around here? We have hay and alfalfa. How long does it take for alfalfa to grow? I don't know, five, six weeks? Anybody know? Well, it takes time. You, you watch the grass grow. That's the point. You, you wait, and then finally, you can go out, and you can cut it down, and you can harvest it. He says it's the same way. Are you suffering? Be patient. Not forever. Be patient and wait like the farmer. And we see here the farmer. He, he talks about the early and the late rains. As you read through the Old Testament, you'll see references to the early and the late rains. And it was very real. They were an agrarian society. You know, they planted... Um, and for them, they had to wait for the early rain to get it started and the, the later rain. Well, the prophets would often use this, and God would use this to refer to his blessing. Because God sent the rains. And so they would talk about the early and the ra late rains as God's blessing, as God's favor on them. And so that's here too. He says, wait, like the farmer, for God's blessing because it's coming. God is going to bless. A lot of that blessing is in this life, as we're patient. You, you might get your second marshmallow in this life. But some of that is at the end. That's why he says repeatedly, until the coming of the Lord. He's coming. He's at the door. It's coming soon, so be patient. There is great blessing as we wait. Do you kids ever uh, bring a seed home from school and you plant it? That's kind of a fun example of this. We, you know, the kids would bring the seed home and then set it. And every morning they come and look. <laughs> you know, is it growing? Is it growing? Is it growing? In a similar way, as we've gone through the book of James, we look at our own lives. You know, are we growing? You know, spiritual growth often is slow. And we have to be patient even with that sanctification process of growing like him. But here's something else that we can draw from this farmer analogy. When the farmer plants and then it rains, what do they do between the first rain and the second rain? Do they just sit there? There's work to do in there. There's weeding. There's fertilizing. There's spraying for bugs. You know, I don't think they had the spray back then, but, but there's all these things that you do. So they're still working as they're waiting for the fruit to come later. While the Christian waits for Jesus' return, they're to be faithful laborers for him. God is faithful. We continue to work for him. We labor for his kingdom. We labor in our families. We move forward being patient because he's coming back. If you doubt that he's coming back, let me read to you 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 18 through 18. It'll be on the screen here. Here's how it's going to happen. For the Lord himself, speaking of Jesus, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. He says he's coming back. How it's going to happen, he's going to descend. There's going to be a trumpet sound, the dead in Christ. So, you know, those of us who have 
have family members who have died who were believers. They're going to rise first. Then those of us still alive will be caught up. And the big point here, so we will always be with the Lord. We will be with him forever. There's elsewhere in Revelation and other places where you see this eternal paradise. It's going to be awesome. The new heaven and the new earth will be together. We'll be with Jesus. But there in, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, therefore encourage one another with these words. Do we do that? What, when somebody's suffering, yeah, and maybe, maybe it's not always the best thing to do. Well, just be patient. Jesus is coming back. But there is an aspect of that. Be patient. This won't last forever. This won't last forever. And not only is Jesus coming back, but he's faithful and he'll show up in the midst. We see here the examples that he's going to give. But why do we have to be patient? You know, this is one of the things that came to mind. Why can't, why can't we just have it all right now? Well, that's not the Christian life. That's not the way Jesus designed it. As you look in Scripture, you see in Matthew 24, 13, that Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You're going to have to endure. And in 2 Timothy 2, 12, he says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. We must endure. We must go because this life is going to be difficult. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 21, he talks about Jesus' suffering, and he says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Part of the Christian life is we're called to suffer for him, for his glory. We're told to be subject to governments. We're told to turn the other cheek. You get hit in this cheek, you turn the other one. We're told that if, if somebody makes you walk a mile with them, walk two. We're told that if, if somebody steals your your Shirt, give them your coat too, or however that would translate. The Christian life is one not about me, but about God and about others, and it's a life that requires patient endurance. So we endure till the end. We're given two examples. Look back at these verses. What are the two examples we're given? We, we might not like this, but look at verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets. Have you guys read through the Old Testament and looked at the prophets? That is not a job people would aspire to be. Uh, the prophets, here, here was their job. God would speak to a prophet with Isaiah, Jeremiah, there's a list of them. And he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I have a message for you to go give my people. You go there and say, thus saith the Lord, and then give them the message. Remember Jonah? Jonah had a message. Go to the Ninevites, your enemies, and say, in uh, just a little while, Y'all are going to be destroyed because you're horrible people. Like, that was the message. You're going to be destroyed in a little bit. Well, they all repented and turned. But he could have been killed right there for it. Jeremiah. Jeremiah would come and say, thus saith the Lord, hey, king, you're not walking his way. God says this. He's like, put him in the well. Jeremiah is lowered down into this well that wasn't really used. So it's probably muddy water down in the bottom. And he was left there to die. Till finally somebody pulled him out. There's another prophet. Ezekiel, he was told, here's what I want you to do. You're going to give a message about Israel. I want you to go lay in your front yard. It was for over a year. <laughs> go lay on your right side for a while, and uh, you can't eat much, but what you do eat, I want you to cook it over dung. You know, make your, your fire out of poo and cook your food on that. Does that sound awesome? No. And then after a while, then turn to your left side. And then here's the next thing I want you to do. While everybody's watching, I want you to go to the gate and, like, dig a little hole and then crawl through it. Pack your bag. I mean, just kind of weird things. But the prophets, their life was really, really hard. You know, Elijah, it's like, okay, you come in. Thus saith the Lord, now run and hide because they're coming to kill you. Like the prophets, 
be patient. How did the prophets do it? They, they faithfully went and did what God told them to do, and they suffered immensely for it. So be like the prophets. The example that comes to mind is I like football. When I was a freshman in high school, I weighed about 100 pounds, um, and I played football. But my, for some reason, my class was, was small, so we didn't have a freshman football team. Uh, we had a JV, not a big school, so we practiced all together, and so we practiced with the varsity players. And I remember being this little 100-pounder. I remember one drill where I was supposed to hold a bag, and they would run a pattern, catch the ball, and hit the bag. Well, these are all the varsity players, all this, and I'm there, 100 pounds, holding the bag. And they would run, and they just had so much fun, like, who can hit him the hardest? If you, who can get him on his back? And it happened often, <laughs> you know, and then crawl up, okay, next one, wait, bam! Oh, my goodness, got to make me bigger, you know? But, but, but just taking hit after hit. But here's the temptation, especially certain people that I knew wanted to just cream me. They turn the corner, they catch the ball, and as they're running straight at me, I could do a couple things. I could do this, hmm? <laughs> right? You know, I could make him glance off. I could just turn and run. Or I could stay in and take the hit. And, and I think in many ways, that's the Christian life. James is saying, stay in and take the hit. Take the hit, like the prophets did. Take the hit for the kingdom. Because you can be tempted to turn and glance, whether it's sin. Gratification right now, those things in life, we can go online, we can get instant gratification, but it's this, and God says, no, I have better things for you, wait. Take the hit, wait. Or, looking back to last week, as we go to share our faith with people, we have an opportunity to share Jesus, the hope of life with somebody else, but it's awkward, but they might not like me, and so I'm like, oh, I'm going to avoid the conversation, I'm just going to let them glance off, or I'm going to stay in and, and pay the awkward bill. As Bo said, and I'm going to step in. Where would Jesus be in this? Have you thought about what God might think of this situation? It was kind of cool. Bo gave us some good stuff. But in the Christian life, we're called to take the hit. And I think that's a big reason James wrote this book, is these Christians are not living like Christians. They look like everybody else, and so they're no blessing to anybody else. They're no blessing to God. He says, live the Christian life. It's going to be hard. Stay in and take the hit. And he gives us another example. Job. Verse 11, you, halfway through, you have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The steadfastness. Do you know what steadfastness means? It means to remain under, to stay there. You know the story of Job? If you don't, let me catch you up real quick. Here's Job. Righteous, wealthy man. He had a bunch of kids. He had a bunch of flocks, a bunch of servants. He had a bunch of stuff. And he loved the Lord. He had a wife, too. And uh, we, J uh, Job didn't know this backstory, never did. He probably knows it now. But, but Satan talks to God, and he's like, hey, you know, God, what's up? And God's like, yeah, Satan. Anyway, uh, God's like, hey, hey, Satan, look down there at Job. Uh, Job is a righteous man who loves me, and he's faithful. And Satan's like, yeah, he's only faithful because you give him all this stuff. You bless him. He's like, you take that stuff away? You let me take that stuff away? He'll curse you. God's like, no, he won't. And I give you permission to go take his stuff away, but don't touch him. So Satan goes, and in one day, all Job's kids die. All his kids are killed. Some by, by raiders, they were throwing a party here, and the, the house, just a, a wind came and it crashed on them. They all died. Uh, and then all his flocks over here were taken by 
by raiders, robbers. They come and one servant escapes to say, ah, oh, I just got here. You lost all your stuff over there. And then this servant, he's like, all oh, your kids just died. And over here, yeah, all this stuff, it's gone too. And one day, Job loses everything. And he still worships the Lord. It says, in all this, he did not sin. So God kind of looks at Job. He's like, see that, Satan? Ha ha. <laughs> he is righteous. He's like, yeah, well, let me touch his body. He's like, okay, you can touch his body, but don't kill him. Job's body broke out in boils all over, sores. And so he stripped down and he was sitting in ashes, you know, mourning over his losses, mourning over his family and in pain. And he has broken pottery and he's scraping it like this. Imagine that. He's scraping it. But he had this wonderful wife who came and said, just curse God and die. Real, real support. And then he had three really good friends come and sit with him. And with friends like this, you don't need enemies. His friends sat there and like, yeah, you brought this on yourself. You've got some kind of sin in your life that you've got to deal with. I mean, Job suffered like none of us have probably suffered. But he remained steadfast. He stayed under it. He didn't just go, say, God, free me from this. He stayed under it. He never cursed God. He had some conversations with God, but he remained faithful. Be like Job. Be like Job. Take the hit. So this is in your notes. Be like the prophets who suffered for boldly proclaiming the word of God. And be like Job who was steadfast through suffering. Be like Job who was steadfast through suffering. And it says that he endured. You know, there's several things here that, that we can draw out as we look at the words used. The first one is, is they're endured. It means uh, to remain under. He endured. He remained under the suffering, but he handled it well. You know, a lot of times when we suffer, we crumble. <laughs> you know, it, it, it gets in with our families and whatever. That's why he says, do not grumble against one another in verse 9. You know, when we start suffering, we can start taking it out on one another. He's like, don't do that. Maintain unity. Stay under it. But look back at verse 8. I'm kind of hopping around here. But there's a word used in verse 8 when he says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. I love that word, establish. Some of your translations may say strengthen uh, uh, or shore up. The idea is that you, you strengthen your heart by looking at Jesus' return. Uh, it's to buttress something, to fix something securely, uh, I think with really good zip ties. You know, you zip tie something to something else really tight and it's not coming apart. He says, take your heart and zip tie it to the hope that Jesus Christ is returning. So when life happens, your first thing is Jesus is coming back. I can endure until he gets here because when he does, his rewards are coming. All pain is going to go away. Every tear will be removed. It's going to get better. So we shore up our hearts. So we've looked at the first thing. So what do we do between now and when Jesus comes back? We be patient. We be patient. But then he gives us something more practical. I mean, patience is good, but it's kind of passive, right? It's just stay there. But then he gives us something practical. Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So what do we do practically? We be patient, but while we're patient, what do we do? We pray. The way to endure is to pray. Are you suffering? Pray. Are things good? Sing praise. Praise him. That's also prayer. Are things good? Praise him. We go to God when we're down. We go to God when we're up. We go to God all the time. Are you sick? Pray. Get others to pray. 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 Famous quote says that prayer is the thin nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. Prayer is the thin nerves that move the, the thin nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. Do you want to see God do things in your life? Pray. Do you want to see God show up for your family? Pray. Do you want to see God bind this church together? Pray. Do you want to see God move in you in this church and then out and see our communities changed? I do. Pray. Pray. That's why in a couple weeks, all we're going to do when we gather together on Sunday is pray. That's why Tuesday nights, the prayer team gets together and prays. This last Tuesday, we were down at the park where the barbecue is happening today, and we've prayed in the park. Pray. Every Sunday at 9 o'clock, we get together, and you know what we do? We pray. So when do we pray? Always pray without ceasing, the word says. Pray. So that's in your notes. When does a Christian pray? When hurting, when joyful, when sick. Always. Always. Now I want to deal with this passage in verse 15 where it talks about somebody sick. Or, or verse 14 Is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over them. Uh, this is a passage that is somewhat controversial. This is a passage that when we understand it in context is really, really helpful. So listen to this. Uh, here, here's a, a wrong view of this passage. The Catholic Church uses this verse uh, for the, the sacrament of extreme unction or whatever they might call it nowadays. That is where when somebody's on their deathbed, People come and they do this ritual thing and they pray so that they'll be saved and not go to hell or purgatory, but then go to heaven. That's not what it's teaching at all. So throw that one out. But there's two other views uh, that really you can go to this church and they'll hold one, this church and they'll hold the other. You know, this great theologian, he'll say one. Another great theologian, he'll say the other. There's two real views to look at this. The most popular would be that the person sick is somebody sick. Somebody, whether it's cancer or whatever, the person is sick. And so they call for the elders. The elders come, anoint them with oil, uh, and then pray over them. Now, the anointing of the oil in, in that interpretation is more of a sign of what the Holy Spirit's doing. It's not a magical thing at all. It's not, you know, like you do this magic thing and they're healed. It's you anoint with oil saying, God will do this. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that has the power. We're recognizing the Holy Spirit's power by anointing you with oil and praying over you. And as you notice... There's, a, there's a, an order here that either view, we need this order. Who calls for the elders? The sick person. The elders don't show up and say, hey, you're sick, we're going to pray over you. Not, not here. The person says, I need help, come pray over me. And the faith 
of who brings about the healing. Not the sick person. The faith of the one praying. I have seen this repeatedly, not repeatedly, I've seen it several times in people close to me, where somebody is sick and they go, okay, if we have enough faith, we'll be healed. And they're not. And then they wallow in it because our faith isn't strong enough. And so this cancer is not going away. I've known people with friends around them saying, if your faith was stronger, you would be healed. Oh my goodness. Horrible friends. Those are like Job's friends. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. We submit to God's will, but here you call them to pray over. Now, this translation is so possible, we do this. We do anoint with oil and we do pray over people. But I think there's a better translation, a better version of this. And it was this, that the person sick, although physical sickness is part of it, they're spiritually weak. That word sick can also be translated Weak and, and about half the time that word is used in the New Testament, sometimes it's physically sick, sometimes it's weak. One example is in Corinthians where Paul is writing and saying, hey, you, you people strong in the faith, you understand that you're free to do basically you know, whatever under God. You're, you can eat whatever. You, know, you can drink wine, you can eat meat, wherever the meat came from. But over here, here's somebody who's weak in their faith and they don't understand all that yet. They think they should avoid certain foods. And because of that, they're not as strong in the faith as you are. They are weak, and so you, in your strength, don't eat these things in front of them because it'll... That word weak, it's the same word here, referring to weak in faith. Is any among, among you weak? Now, as we've read through James, this fits the context really, really well. All these Christians, and, and they are brothers and sisters. He began this one by saying brothers and sisters. So these are believers not living it well. These are believers stuck in sin. These are believers walking like the world. And he says, you, are you weak? A lot of these people reading would go, yep, that's me. That's me. I came to know Jesus, but I haven't become much like him. I'm weak in my faith. I'm down. I'm out. I'm depressed. Maybe that's the situation where you've tried to follow him and it's just not, not working. You're not doing very well. I, I want to give up. I think that is more likely who he's talking about. These people that are spiritually weak, they've been stuck in sin, which leads to often physical illness. Have you experienced that? Where you're spiritually down, uh, depressed, anxious, whatever, and it causes physical things? He says, if that's you, call for the elders, anoint with oil. In that time, oil was used often for medicinal purposes. It was used for, you know, to rub oil on, to soothe, to comfort he says, so seek medical attention is basically what he's saying. Do some things physically to soothe yourself. Anoint them with oil. You know, a lot of times if a guest came to your house, you would anoint them with oil in a soothing type of way. Now, if he was talking about anointing in a sacramental way, there was a different word he could have used. But he didn't use the word Greek. We're not going to get into the Greek. He didn't, there was another word he could have used if it meant symbolically sacramental. The word he used very literally means to rub. And that's the word used when it's used for medicinal or those types of purposes. So he's saying, do the things physically you need to do to recuperate and then call for help. Who do you call? It says the elders. Why would somebody spiritually weak call the elders? Well, who are the elders supposed to be? The spiritually strong. The strong in faith. The example we're given is Elijah. Elijah was somebody so close to God, he didn't die. A chariot of fire came and picked him up. You can read that in the Old Testament. Great story. But Elijah and God were tight. And so when Elijah prayed, he was praying in accordance with God's will, and things happened. 
He prayed, didn't rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed and it rained. So he says here, go find somebody spiritually strong, like the elders in your church, grab an Elijah to pray over you. Have you ever been so down and out where you're like, God, I want you. Or really, let's be honest, I want to want you, but I don't want you. Maybe I'm the only one that's prayed that prayer. I don't want to pray, God, right now. I'll be totally honest. I don't, I don't feel you. I don't sense you. I don't want to pray. To be honest, I want to go do all this sin over here. If you find yourself there, what do you do? You're not going to dig yourself out of that hole. It's like you're in the, you dig a well and you forgot to give yourself a ladder to get out. You're stuck. So what do you do? You ask for help. You be honest. That's why he goes on, confess your sins one to another, that you will be healed. You go, you go, here's my sin, help me. You go to somebody spiritually strong, help me. I can't do this, help me. Rather than trying to pull ourselves up by our moral bootstraps, we are given the church, we are given the body to show up for one another. It's a beautiful picture. And so, what does this take? It takes a lot of humility. Let's be honest. It takes a lot of humility for you or me to go to somebody else and go, I'm down. I'm struggling with sin. I don't really want to do this church thing. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? But we know that that's what we're supposed to do because he goes on then even in verse 19. And he says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We are to lovingly reach out to brothers and sisters wandering in sin, praying for their return. You know, we, we live in a very private culture. You know, we, uh, we can spend all our time alone in our house if we want. We're, we're private. We don't want to share our hurts and stuff with others. That's not the situation that's supposed to be within the church. In the church, we're supposed to be looking out for one another. So if, if I have one of you, I know well, a brother or sister, I'm going to pick on you, Duncan, just because I see you back there. And Duncan's been in our outpost group for a couple years, so I know Duncan. Say I know Duncan is wandering. Maybe their marriage is struggling. They're not that I know of. I'm just, this is an example, okay? <laughs> and I know this is going on. The way I will be faithful to the word and to him is I'm going to go to him. And Duncan, I see this in your life. Can I help you? What's going on? So there's the aspect of the person suffering calls for help. But also, if you see a brother or sister struggling, you go to them and you offer the help. You go, hey, I see this. Your marriage is crumbling, isn't it? Can I help? What can we do? Can I pray over you? We show up for one another. As I was studying this, um, the application that just came to mind was pray. Because that's our two big things. How do we endure between Jesus' first coming and his second coming? Because he's coming back soon. How do we endure? Be patient and pray. Be patient and pray. A lot of times we do with God what we do with, with our, our other stuff, our money. Our thing. We give him what's left over. So we don't pray when we have time. We make time to pray. So that's our application. If you are here and you don't know the Lord, you don't know him at all, I ask you, we're going to do the Lord's Supper. Find somebody. We're going to have people praying in the back. It's Alex and Kelsey. You're going to be back there. I'm going to be up here. Come grab one of us and go, I'm down and out. I don't even know Jesus. We'll pray with you. We'll help you know what it means to follow Jesus. Or are you like the readers of James? who you do belong to Jesus, but you're down and out. You can't get out of the hole. Guess what? Here's your chance. Pray. Pray. Grab somebody to pray with you. We have our prayer walls. I want to see these full this morning. (laughs) 
Our application is pray. Are things going great for you? Guess what? Pray. Thank him. Come up and write, write a thanks on there. God, I praise you for this. Whatever it is, roll it up, stick it in the wall. God, I pray for, I, I, I'm requesting this, but let's pray for one another. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is called communion, called different things. But what we do is, is as we start worshiping, as we start singing again, we're going to come down these two aisles. You grab the bread, you grab the cup, go back to your seat. You can pray with somebody with you. You can go to the court, do whatever you need to do. But we do this to remember Jesus' death on the cross. This is for believers only. So if you're here and you do not belong to Jesus, you've never said, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe it in your heart, God raised him from the dead. That, that's how you're saved. If you haven't done that, don't take the Lord's Supper. That's okay. But grab somebody, talk with them, pray with them, and then maybe take it. Or maybe you're struggling with sin. Come talk to somebody, pray with them. Do it by yourself over here. Get on your knees and then come take the Lord's Supper. But we do this to remember Jesus' sacrifice. This life is hard. We struggle with sin, but guess what? Jesus covered it all, so we always look back to the cross. That's why we do this every two weeks, because we never move past Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. Are you hurting? Are you suffering? Guess what? Jesus took care of it on the cross. Are you struggling with sin? Guess what? You're forgiven because of Jesus on the cross. You don't have to worry about it. So let's celebrate. Let's worship. Let's find somebody to pray for us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I confess our weakness. God, we, uh, we have so many things that we struggle with. God, whether it be health issues, family issues, marriage issues, relationship issues, and we need help. We need your help, and we need each other's help. Lord Jesus, I, I pray that uh, we would worship you well now. God, that if, if any of us need to grab somebody and pray, that we wouldn't be afraid. God, that we would go to Alex or Kelsey in the back or me in the front. We would find somebody or somebody else, a group leader, somebody else to pray for us. Lord Jesus, I believe you are on the verge of doing great things in our community. But God, if we're not walking right with you, we're not going to be used in the way that you want to use us. God, we know that the enemy wants to derail us. The enemy wants to get into our families. The enemy wants to get into our church and separate us and sideline us from walking with you. I pray that he wouldn't. God, help us to be so open and honest about ourselves that the enemy has no foothold in our lives, in our families, in our church. Jesus, we're here because of you. We thank you for your death on the cross, for the blood you shed, for your, your, your side that was pierced, your head that had the crown of thorns pushed down onto it. God, we thank you. We thank you that you rose from the dead victorious over sin and over death. Thank you for the free life that is found in you. Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anybody in the room right now that doesn't know you, that today they would turn their life over to you. They would pray with somebody today and learn what it means to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.